this show, we discuss audiology and how it relates to your life. Whether you're a parent, a student, a professional, you'll find discussions and conversations here about how audiology affects your life and practical everyday tips for improving the care that you give your patients, the way you can advocate for yourself or your child, and advice for students and young professionals. Today's guest is Dr. Sonia Burt, an audiologist from Florida who has more than 20 years experience, including 17 years as an audiology program manager. Dr. Burt received her BA in Communication Science and Disorders from Hampton University, an MBA from Nova Southeastern University, and her Doctor of Audiology degree from Central Michigan University in 2001, where she became the first black student to complete a four-year residential AUD program. Just before we dive into that interview, I'd like to remind you that your comments and your messages are the most exciting part of this show and for all of us to have a conversation around these topics. So come and join the All About Audiology Facebook group, follow on Instagram and Facebook, and of course, all of your messages are so dear to me, and I answer all my DMs, and I can't wait to hear what you think of our conversation. So welcome, Dr. Burt, to the show. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. Uh, so just to tell you a little bit about myself, I'm a Midwestern girl. I'm from Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio, to be exact born and raised. I have three sisters. I'm number two. And people always ask, why did you become an audiologist? Yeah. And the reason why is actually my younger sister had ear infection that she had had to pee tubes. She had speech and language therapy so much so that one time I went to one of the appointments with my parents and she happened to have to have a hearing test that day. We go into I was like, say the basement, because it was the lower level. And I see this lady and she's explaining everything to my mom, what they're going to do, the hearing test. So while she's talking to my mom, I'm also asking questions. Like, who is this lady? What does she do? Blah, blah, blah. And my mom was a nurse. You know how old you were? I was in middle school. But I remember my mom saying, oh, this is an audiologist and she does this. And the audiologist at the time heard this conversation. She stopped and said, hey, if it's okay with your parents, you can come test your um, sister's hearing with me. And of course, my parents are all like, yes, go. You know, they're all about that support. I like to say I did my first hearing test in middle school. Um, what a great experience. And, That's so nice. Yes, it was. And yeah. it was really nice, that audiologist. And, you know, at the t- I knew then I was like, oh, this is, this is great. You know, um, I ended up attending Hampton University in Virginia, Hampton, Virginia, they actually had one of the first communication science disorder programs um, at Historically Black University. And I say that to say, I didn't realize that they had this in undergrad. I went in thinking I was going to be an education major, um, looked at occupational therapy, physical therapy. And then I went back and was like, oh, let me take this communicative science disorder class. That was my second semester. We hear from a lot of students and it's a very common experience that people will say, oh, because of my sister, my parents, or I had a kid in my school, you know, some, some kind of personal connection with learning about audiology as a field, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like everybody knows what a dentist is. Everyone needs dentistry. It's almost like, where is the gap with that, like education or even awareness that audiology is a field? Mm -hmm. Um, that that's been a 
a journey of evolution in our field. Absolutely. Because I know since I could remember, I knew I wanted to do something in healthcare, but I thought it was, my mom was a nurse and I thought, okay, well, maybe I want to be a doctor. So I actually went to medical camp and I believe it was in high school. And I realized, I was like, oh no, this isn't for me. <laughs> um, so I knew it was something maybe in the allied health yeah. care system, the field that was probably, would suit my personality a little bit more. Sure. I mean, I was all about medicine also in high school. And then we had the fetal pig dissection. <laughs> you said that was it? And I was like, um, this is enough. I don't <laughs> think this is a good idea. <laughs> right. And even though I love being in surgery when I, when I was a, uh, working at the hospital, I got to be in the surgeries and doing a lot of the mm -hmm. intraoperative monitoring and checking cochlear implants. And I, I like the drama. <laughs> exactly. Oh no. I, I'm telling you, I absolutely, I had a great fourth year externship at yeah. the University of Michigan. And part of that was the interoperative monitoring portion of audiology. And I was like, oh, oh, this is cool. I don't know if I could have been the one operating, but right. it was great nope. to monitor the nerve. <laughs> Way too much responsibility. But I mean, when I'm in the, in the OR, it's like, it's like a play and everyone mm -hmm. has their role and you've got yep. you know, the scrub nurse and you've got all the other people who are like in charge of devices. And one guy who's like, his whole job is to make sure the electricity just always stays stable for all the different drills and lights and things. And mm -hmm. yeah, I just like being kind of a fly on the wall and then stepping in when it's necessary and then stepping right out. <laughs> I like that description. That's absolutely true. Everyone has their role. <laughs> and then, you know, you have the, the surgeon and then their resident and sometimes you have students watching. And mm -hmm. I, I love it when the med students like come over and like, what's going on? <laughs> and yes. then I'm like, well, listen here, med students. <laughs> I'll explain. Right. <laughs> Definitely. So that's how you came into audiology. And mm -hmm. What was your schooling like? What was the experience while you were an undergrad and then graduate school? Um, undergrad, like I said, um, I went to Hampton University and Dr. Robert Screen was the, the program chair at that time. He brought the, the program to Hampton University. Uh, one of the reasons is that he felt that this was needed to educate Black students and, and students uh, from diverse backgrounds. This was needed in our profession. Um, but I had a very supportive instructors there. And the reason why I found out about the AUD actually is because of the audiology instructor at the time, Teresa Graham. I think we had a class of maybe 15 to 20 students and I probably was one of the only one who was going into audiology. I knew early on like, yeah, no, I'm definitely an audiologist. <laughs> That's what I want to do. And not a uh, not speech pathologist. Which was great. They supported that. And I was, but I remember um, as I was applying to go to graduate school, she was the one who told me, hey, the profession is changing. Um, it's this degree called the AUD, audiology doctoral degree. Um, it's only a few schools that have it right now, but I think you should look into it. And she even, you know, gave me some articles. So I looked into it. And at the time, it was only three schools, it was either two or three schools. I know one school has stopped accepting students because they no longer continue their AD program. And essentially it came down to Central Michigan was like my only choice, really. Because the other school, I think it was brand new and I don't know if they were accepting students that year, might've been the following year. So for our listeners who are not familiar with this history, um, basically we had first the master's level and a lot of audiologists were practicing that way. 
and then they introduced the doctoral program and there was kind of like a period of time where it overlapped I mean you know this you lived through it I just know historically <laughs> what <laughs> a lot of people were kind of grandfathered in if you use that expression of they could continue to practice if they had the masters but any new students needed to complete the doctorate but then you were in that middle ground i was in that middle and honestly it was kind of controversial because everyone wasn't on board to be honest and we didn't realize that my classmates and i too we went to our first conference and realized the discussion going back and forth um so anyway i applied to central michigan and was accepted and i did all this back then no we didn't have zoom or these if we did we didn't do skype so everything was like over the phone phone interviews and i was accepted. I didn't visit the college. Wow. I didn't do any of that. I was just had made up my mind already that if I got accepted, I, I would go. So I'm thinking I was in Michigan and I'm from Ohio, but I mean, honestly, I'd never been up as far as Mount Pleasant. <laughs> so what's the distance, like the drive from Ohio to Michigan? It was about, and I should know, about eight hours, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's not oh, like, but... I just hop by on the weekend. That's like, no, right. It was definitely, definitely longer than hours. Um, so that was good. When I went to Central Michigan, it was definitely an adjustment going to Central Michigan from Hampton University. So you were coming from Virginia, from a predominantly Black university. Right. It was, um, Central Michigan is kind of in, I don't want to say in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, Hampton, okay. it was full of like a military base, kind of a city. You know, we were close to D.C., uh, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, and then I go to Mount Pleasant, and I remember driving up there, we're like passing Lansing and all these major cities, and we are going through like farmland, uh, <laughs> and my parents looked at me, and they was like, are you sure? You, you, you sure you want to do this? I was like, yeah, no, I'm doing it. Hey, I'm going to do it. You know, I committed to it, and I can tell you my breakdown was not school. It was Linda she said Stanford was the clinic director at the time. And I remember I was, um, this is the first semester there in Central Michigan. And I happened to pass by her office and she said, how are you? And I just was crying. She was like, what is wrong? Like you just got here, <laughs> like what happened? And it was, I just spent like trying to redo my apartment. It was at Target and Walmart and I just spent all this money and I couldn't find any hair care products. <laughs> <laughs> she, you know what? She sat me down, she listened. And I felt better after I talked to her. And I was like, okay, you know, cause I'm an out of state student. I didn't know, you know, where even to get my hair done. That's like a big thing, you know, for anyone. She called me at home that night and she called the stores and told them that I couldn't possibly be the only student that was having this issue. And wow. she called us. Yeah, she did. And she said, um, Sonia, let me know what do you need? And they're going to order for you. I was like, okay, I have made the right decision here. <laughs> you know, because it wasn't even a clinical thing, but she took it personal that she called around and, and took action. So, wow. yeah, that's pretty impressive. She did. But I, what impresses me from the story is that you were able to be open about what you're going through. Exactly. Of, I can imagine other people might feel ashamed or, or just like, oh, this is, you know, a concern that I'm not feeling comfortable sharing. Uh, but you were open. So then you were met wonderfully by a good person who was willing to help. Yes. yes. A lot of bravery. And I think students need to hear that. 
you know, your yes. professors don't only care about the, uh, the work. They, they want you to be okay and like, for you mm -hmm. to do it. I had some mentorship at Central Michigan. Linda Stanford introduced me to one of our professors, Dr. Don Nelson. She was on maternity leave and she called her and told her about, you know, my situation and me just adjusting to being at Central Michigan and needed some help. And so Dr. Nelson had me call her immediately. And I did. And that was a great uh, relationship in terms of her being a mentor to me through the program. She also served as the chair on my capstone project and really helped me when I first started practicing audiology. You know, sometimes you have questions about what you learned in class because she taught um, electrophysiology, vestibular, and um, auditory processing. So if I had some questions, she was very helpful to have someone to go back to and, and get that information. So having a mentor is really um, beneficial. Yeah, it's so important to have a mentor and to have those connections with professors. Exactly, like all on a team and it doesn't end when you graduate. I, I always kind of, uh, just on a personal note as well, uh, had to learn that difference from in graduate school versus being in undergrad. In undergrad, you're one of 60, 80, 300 in your program, whatever. And then in grad school, you become one of 10 or one of 20, you know, a much right. smaller ratio. And everybody who, who is invested in you completing that program. <laughs> That's important. We're all on you, one team together. It's not you versus professors or administration in a way that it might feel like that in undergrad. And then mm -hmm. in graduate school, your partners, they want you to succeed. So go to them with your issues and then try and work things out. And I have but, to say, honestly, I was fortunate that I got that in undergrad as well. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I really, we had, a, we used to joke, but our little department was small, but we were mighty. And I found that, I found that in audiology period, you know, I've always been in a smaller group, like audiology, CDL, communication disorders is small, but we close-knit group. Our professors really, really um, cared. And then to go on to Central Michigan, we were a class of, I believe, 10, a small group, but we had that support. And I feel like even in audiology, as we're such a small group, but we are so mighty, and what we do is great. We help so many people. Um, so we are a small but mighty force as well. I love that. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that. I feel that, that um, with the All About Audiology community, I, I feel that as well. You know, I don't have hundreds of thousands of listeners, but I recognize a lot of people who comment, you know, they're, we're the same people. I, I DM yeah. back and forth with students from around the world, and I feel that in the podcast, and I'm I'm glad that you felt that already so early in your, <laughs> in your career. Yeah. So what do you think were some of the highlights, top moments from your education and then some of the challenges or barriers challenges. that you overcome? You know, I, I love to be around people. I realize now, like, and it gives me energy. <laughs> yeah. In terms of audiology and graduate school, most of my classmates, we are still really a tight-knit group. Um, different backgrounds, different, you know, when I say that, I mean, some people grew up in the city, some people grew up, you know, like small little towns. Um, 
just in general, but we are a small group. I would say that was my highlight. We always tried to have each other's back, even now and send them. We have a, you know, we might have a little group. Hey, this difficult patient. What do you think? You know, or even like, it seemed like we all had children, the ones that do have children are around the same age. So it, it even spreads to like parenting. And that was my highlight, just being people. I have that network, that extended network. But also I have some great externships. So I was able, I even did one in Vancouver, British Columbia. That by far was probably the best one, just to be in another um, country and experience, which is great. What was the setting? Was it a hospital, a private practice? So it's a private practice. Um, so that I got that private practice experience and the, the, the staff was really great. Yeah, so that was really the highlight. And I even got to travel through the Canadian Rockies. <laughs> so just, to, just I just took advantage of being a student and, and taking in all the experiences, you know? Mm -hmm. And that would be like my suggestion to students, take advantage of everything. I even was able to do a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. But let me tell you, I just, I miss those carefree days. <laughs> take advantage of everything so students i'm telling you if you had those opportunities take advantage of it yes student life <laughs> <laughs> right like sometimes i think about you know the days that i looked at my afternoon you know from one to six even and it's like i have all this time when's the last time i had five hours that were just open, no responsibilities, nothing to go for. Exactly. When was the last time? I'm thinking, I I can't think of it one. Okay. And not to minimize that grad school is, is very challenging. You have papers, you have assignments, and mm -hmm. clinic days can be very long, but mm -hmm. it kind of goes in peaks and valleys. You have like yep. sessions of the semester, which are difficult. And then, and then you have like, you know, those clinic days are hard, but it's not always the same kind of it's not we have a month off in january like, yep <laughs> did we have a yeah we did i actually i was even i even worked in graduate school oh what did you i do? worked in minority student services and was helping out with the mentoring program so mentoring and it wasn't just audiology students but um the undergrad students when they came through we kind of paired them with someone who was like in their third or fourth year of school, even their fifth year, to help them get through the process. Because, you know, the first year is difficult of college, period. It's college. undergrad and graduate school. The first, if you can get through the first year, you got it made. Mm -hmm. So um, I was able to work in that environment uh, with students. For me, it helped because I was able to enjoy a lot of events um, on a college campus. So not just audiology but also do things in the university setting, which was great and it helped with the transition from, you know, undergrad to grad school and mm -hmm. being okay and, you know, having another support system. That's great. So you had a great cohort and you, you figured out how to navigate friends and events on campus. You had this right. excellent internship. Those are good things to put <laughs> in the bank of good experiences. Uh, yeah. But I'm also sure there were some challenges. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, unfortunately, most of the things you just remember. So I have one, like a patient. I have many, but I remember our first year. Um, typically, you were paired with another first year student. 
and we had a patient who just kept calling me girl, mm. girl. And my classmate, he was like, where's the lady? Where's the lady? And so finally the patient was like, you know, I don't want, I don't want that girl touch me again. I don't want to see her. And it's funny because, um, you know, we had a clinical supervisor who literally, she had just left and went to help two other students it was just across the hall. So um, I just told my classmate, I was like, well, just go ahead. I'll sit back here and, you know, just finish the appointment. And I just remember my supervisor just like apologizing for this guy. Because at the time you just get him, you know, test him, get him done. And, but um, I just remember like, oh, here we go. I had to prepare myself to get ready for, um, for clinic. We had a test uh, exam that evening. So just trying to clear my mind and, and, and get through that. I had many throughout my career. Just I would say those are most of the experiences, unfortunately, that dealt, dealt with that. And, you know. That's very demeaning. <laughs> very. Yeah. When you're in, in a position to help this person. Right. Exactly. That they would, would, would treat you that way. And I think it's very important for us to talk about this for students and professionals and families, you know, all the listeners of the show to, to start to say, you know, sometimes we look at the issues of racism as these big conglomerate issues that are just like way too big to look at. And it's like, does it have to do with me, with my profession, with my clinic, with my class, with my family? Right. Um, it's like over there and it's more and more people are starting to really see that it's it goes deep everywhere it has really does in every circumstance and that's why i think it's important to have these conversations and for all of us to learn what those experiences are that we're missing yeah absolutely and actually um part of graduating from central michigan is we had to do a capstone experience so research and i did mine on multicultural recruitment practices just based off some of the experiences i had and like i said i'm sorry one more time multicultural uh, recruitment practices in audiology. And it was really based off of some of just the need of having more um, Blacks and other people of color go through the, the program. So people who don't know the history will think that someone being called a girl is not offensive. But Black people were never, men were called boys. Girls, women, grown women, 80 years old, that girl, that's very offensive. Where someone else who's younger, they always got given the respect of, um, she's a lady, she's a woman. So imagine somebody, you know, said that right now, they'll call you a lady and like, oh, that girl over there. So when you talk about my passion is students, I love working with students and I love working with people um, that's new in audiology that have innovative ideas. I love it. You know, what makes me work as an audiologist, my ideals and my thoughts don't get, aren't stale <laughs> because I'm around these great innovative minds. I truly love it. That's the truth. That's awesome. Um, so why don't we continue from there? Tell us what you do now. You know, what has been the progression of your career to bring you to back now? I work for one of the hearing aid manufacturers, Otacon. I'm a clinic support audiologist for government services. Um, and prior to that, just to understand, I was a supervisory audiologist at the Department of Veteran Affairs, the VA hospital. 
um, for 17 years. I worked at the VA um, in, in Florida. Yep, the Miami VA. Yep, that's where I work. Um, so I definitely feel like my clinical experience and working with veterans and being a supervisor um, have helped in my current position. I love what I do now because it's putting all that together. I also worked in a school system when I first graduated. I was a, um, a newborn hearing screening supervisor. I trained technicians on completing newborn hearing screenings. I did some per GM work at some of the area hospitals. And I will say right now, the position I have now is bringing all that together, mm. all that experience, because it's important. You, you know, I may receive a call or a question from someone in the field about a difficult to test patient or they're not sure how to fit this patient. And so I can go back on else experience, a clinical experience. And I love that I get to see, you know, it's one thing we can have amplification in school, you know, that's part of like what we do. The hearing aid class. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hearing aid class. But to see the research and the minds that go into developing um, this technology is amazing. And then just to be able to educate, mm -hmm. you know, audiologists and students on it, honestly, is I can't explain it. It's just really a great, a great feeling um, because I feel like I'm still helping the, the end user, which is the patient and the family, um, but having the opportunity to meet audiologists and clinicians and hearing care professionals from all over the world. So I, I love, yeah, love what I do. Yeah. I had a little tiny bit of that experience when, when I took acoustics and mm -hmm. I was like, physicists and people are studying like psychoacoustics that's their yep. whole field then the next class we're taking anatomy and studying the people who are using mice models to understand mm -hmm. outer hair cell function and they're like yep. in lab with mice microbiology people and then you're in the next class and you learn about engineers who are putting together these circuits micro circuits the more you learn yep. the more you realize how many people are involved and how many fields of study come together in audiology. And it's that intersection that is like my favorite part of it, where I could have something to talk to an engineer, a biologist, a surgeon, a med student, a teacher, a teacher of the deaf, a sign language interpreter, like all these different people all kind of have a web within audiology. Absolutely. Now that's, I'm telling you, that is the part I, love and I work with a great team of people the chemistry is great and everyone really comes and they'll put forth their um, their strengths mm -hmm. so I like that like everyone you know I I don't know everything about everything but it might be you know one of my teammates they do and they'll they'll jump in and be like hey you know don't worry pass them to me I'll talk to them you know it's kind of that working together so I do appreciate that and the other thing yeah. you mentioned which is that you had all these different work settings, worked in school, worked with the newborn hearing screening, hospital, work with manufacturers, customer support, like all those different things. And that's, you know, who knows what will be the next changes? <laughs> who knows? I, I like, and that's what I like about our profession. Like don't narrow just to one thing. You'll be surprised. I never thought that I would be on manufacturing yeah. side, but I also didn't think I would be a supervisor, but I was because I just, when I first graduated, I really liked the clinical aspect of working with patients. And I still enjoy that. You know, there's nothing like working with patients and their families. Mm -hmm. 
um, I just feel like I'm still able to do that in those different settings, um, just in a different yeah. way. So. so I actually had a, one of my placements was at the VA in Brooklyn. At the time that I was there a couple of years ago, there were some issues on a national level with uh, wait times and other, you know, mm -hmm. VA issues, but the audiology department had like one of the best ratings within the hospital and I had an excellent experience. The wait time was very short <laughs> and the, the feedback, the patient satisfaction was very high. And I think part of that is because of the excellent access to the latest technology and all the remote things. Yes. Um, and I'm very grateful that, that our veterans can have that service. That's, that's really important. Mm -hmm. um, it is. And that's a great group. The Brooklyn VA. Yeah, they're, that's a great Oh, I'm group. so honored to look at them. Fabulous people. <laughs> yes. I think that's another great thing of what I do now is I literally get to meet audiologists all over um, at the different VAs and active duty. So the one thing that's positive about COVID-19 is everybody's moved to remote. So typically I, I wouldn't travel to all the different sites. Mm -hmm. um, on a typical day, but because of this, we're able to meet people through Zoom calls, uh, you know, through uh, just video conference calls. So I've been able to face-to-face -face see people that probably typically wouldn't, and I might see them at like a national seminar or something like that. And it's been great. That is, it's been fun actually. It, COVID has separated and connected. It's, it's done a lot of weird things. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, my last question, what advice can you offer to the individuals and their families that are having, you know, someone in the family has a hearing loss and that's the old saying, if one person has a hearing loss, everyone has a hearing problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I would say always, you know, if it's, uh, if you're a parent, if you're a daughter, son, you don't feel bad about being an advocate for your loved one, just from personal experience with my mom, we had to be an advocate. You know that maybe they can't speak up for themselves or you know their day to day. Don't, don't, don't back down. If you feel like, you know, you'd be an advocate. Um, my second thing is do your research. Um, I used to love, some people didn't like this when patients would come with all these articles and all this information. To me, I looked at it as a chance for us to discuss it, discuss the information and um, to educate each other. And, and then you find a way of finding out what is the patient's expectations. But as a, a caregiver, a family member, don't be afraid to do your research. And hopefully you have a provider that would, is willing to sit there and talk to you and go over that information with you. Um, and if you're not, my third thing is um, get a second opinion. It's okay. We'll get another opinion and find someone that you feel comfortable with um, that's patient. Yeah. And will help you will help you walk through the process. That's always my three is research and if you need another opinion, that's okay too. Now, if anyone has been listening to the show, I did not feed you those answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did not. That's did like not. everything I ever talk about. So I just had yes, really we, I talk all, all the time about advocacy. In fact, I have the FIG method framework that I give workshops on advocacy. That's like one of the biggest things with parents. And the second opinion thing, we have definitely mentioned that numerous times. And I, you know what? I put myself in the shoes, honestly, is the steps that I had to walk through myself. Yeah. 
So yes, I'm an audiologist, but I'm also a parent and I'm also a daughter or granddaughter. And so these are things I have to live myself, live with myself. So I had to do those things. And I would say the most, if you do not feel comfortable, if you feel like it's okay to get a second opinion, sometimes you might need need to get a third opinion to get, you know, so that's okay. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to help this person live a comfortable life, um, one that they could thrive in, in an environment. You look at the end goal and your end goal is to make sure your child or your family member um, is okay in the long run. So you did not feed me that information, I promise. <laughs> I'm just like listening to you like, um, wait a minute, you're taking all my lines. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good thing. I mean, I feel like many audiologists and and audiology as a profession, we automatically need to come from a place that's more patient centered to begin with, because it is about communication. It is about how are you navigating the challenges of your life? How's work and what's the educational barriers for students in the classroom? We're constantly looking at the effects of and not just like strictly the medical part of it. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how I yeah. experience my education. <laughs> yeah. And you have to realize as a person on the other end of what you're doing. Um, when I have students, that's the main thing I tell them. You know, a lot of students come with the book knowledge, mm-hmm. but I've always thought as a supervisor, my job was to help them develop that, um, that bedside manner on how to hey, bring it all together. Because sometimes it's one thing to see something in a book, but let's be honest, that doesn't always happen on the clinical side. (laughs) You know, and I found students concentrating so much on trying to get these exact marks. And I'm like, hey, but it's a person on the other side. Let's find out about this patient. Let's find out how we influence their life. Let's, you know, it's so much more to what we do. Mm -hmm. I was recently speaking with a student who was telling me about vestibular testing, balance testing, and um, she was telling me that uh, it's so difficult to you know, get all the different steps right. It's quite a complicated test, the calorics, and yet she doesn't want to take up time because here this person is, she's making them dizzy. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she like, wants them to be done with the test, but at the same time, she's still learning how to do it you know, in a way that's uh, correct, but also efficient. And uh, right. I feel like that's one of the most difficult areas of audiology that I personally don't have that much clinical experience with. Mm -hmm. Oh man, (laughs) just to be thinking about people who come in and say that they're dizzy or, you know, that they Mm -hmm. experience imbalance that affects your whole quality of life. People afraid to stand up from a chair um, also then become isolated and all that comes. Yes. And that's the main, that's the takeaway that what we do is so important in every aspect of how we're influencing someone's life from balance to the hearing loss even with auditory processing we traumatic brain injury like it's so things that we as audiologists should be proud of what we do do it well but like always remember that it's someone on the other end that we're helping like how would you want to feel if this was you and that's what you treat people the way that you want to be treated. That could be your child, your parent, your grandparent, and you would advocate and you would want them to live a quality life. So 
always remember that. That's excellent advice. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Dr. Bert, for coming on the show and for sharing your experiences with us. I appreciate you inviting me. If, uh, if anybody was interested in contacting you or learning more about your work. Um, yeah, they can always email me at um, drsonyabert at gmail.com. It is one word, drsonyabert at gmail.com. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well, along with full transcript of today's conversation. Absolutely. Okay. And I also can be reached on LinkedIn as well. That's how I found you. So that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again to Dr. Burt for coming on the show and sharing her story with us and so much great advice and wisdom. As always, you can find full transcripts of every episode at allaboutaudiology.com. And I do love getting to know you, the listeners over on Instagram and in the Facebook group, All About Audiology Podcast Facebook group. It's really, really so wonderful and so meaningful to get to know you, whether you're a parent to a child with hearing loss or a student of audiology or a related professional. I really appreciate this community and all of us coming together to make the journey a little bit more human. There's people on every side of it. And again, I want to remind you that if you can become a patron of the show, it would absolutely help me produce more beautiful, heart-centered conversations to share with you. And you can become a patron at patreon.com slash allaboutaudiology. And a quick reminder to the students out there that international office hours with Q&A take place on the first Wednesday of every month. And if you have any questions or anything you'd like to share with me, DM me on Instagram or Facebook, and I can't wait to hear your takeaways from today's podcast episode. I'm Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the All About Audiology Podcast.